0: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you again, Keith and Kristen. And we very much look forward uh, to tonight. Uh, And so if, uh, as it's already been mentioned, I think there are still a few tickets uh, available. So if you would like to be a part of just a wonderful night of worship. Uh, and singing together, uh, this will uh, I expect to be just a wonderful night. So uh, you can still find those uh, online, and uh, hope to see you again tonight as part of our uh, worship and uh, concert with uh, with the Gettys. We also are have been in a, in a preaching and a teaching series, and we're going to now move into our time. Um, in, uh, in our worship service uh, where we do take time to preach and to teach the word of God. This is a, a very important part of our worship every, every week. When we gather, we gather not only to sing, not only to see each other, uh, and to fellowship together, um, and not just to check off a, a box that we've went to church, but we desire to sit under the authority of scripture and allow scripture and the word of God to continue to speak to our hearts and our minds. And I hope and pray that that's something that you come uh, to worship each week with a desire to do. And we've been studying uh, this topic of sin ruined is the name of, of the, of the series. We, we, I've been talking about the fact that it's a biblical understanding of sin uh, because we're trying to understand sin biblically, not necessarily culturally uh, or even personally, but biblically. And today, as we continue to move forward uh, in this series, we're going to be studying the biblical concept of godly sorrow, godly sorrow. And the word sorrow, it, it brings other similar ideas to mind. Uh, one of those words might be uh, a word like regret. Regret is, is something that we can all relate to. Sometimes regret is, is hard to articulate. We can, we can feel it, but we might not be able to quite express it. But we know what it is. We know what it is when, when we do feel it. And, and I wanted to show you uh, this example. We can put this uh, picture here uh, on the screen. This is a guy who, who got this uh, tattoo and understands regret quite clearly. Uh, the, the irony of this tattoo is really beyond imagination. <laughs> because to, to tattoo regret nothing on your arm with the wrong spelling of nothing is just really the epitome of irony. Uh, the, the the very The very meaning of living with regret has has really just been tattooed on your arm, uh, and, and the irony is that the tattoo is supposed to celebrate the idea of living with no regrets, so you see kind of what I mean here with with this in in our text for today as, as we as we look into the scriptures. Paul the Apostle is going to is going to tell us and, and, and teach us h- and to help us to to live without regret, but it 's not because we had it tattooed on our arm that 's not what' he's, what he 's getting at it's, it's, He wants us to live without regret because we understand something we understand godly sorrow now, for those of you who have been with us throughout this series. We have spent weeks studying sin. We, we, we studied what is sin, what is indwelling sin. We talked about different types of sin, like like presumptuous sins and secret sins. We, we, we studied and looked at what, what temptation to sin means. And then last week, we looked at our enemy of sin, the devil, Satan. So today, we kind of shift in this series to no longer looking at what sin is and different types and and all of that. But now we're shifting to our response to sin. Because in understanding sin biblically, we need to understand a proper biblical response. And what we're gonna see today is that our response to sin should not be fleshly regret, but it should be godly sorrow. Sorrow. And so let's pray and ask God to continue to lead us, just as we did in that song uh, that we just sang. Lord God, I pray that you would just give us open hearts and minds to receive a truth, Lord, that is so pivotal in the Christian life. This, What we are going to learn today is something that that we need to put into practice each and every day of our lives. So Lord, I just, I hope, and I pray that there would be a, an openness in, uh, of those that you have brought here today in their minds and in their hearts to not just understand sin biblically, but to respond to it in a biblical and God-honoring way. And I pray that you would guide and direct me In the teaching of your word, for your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. That will be our text for today. And uh, before I read that passage, I want to just set the context of of this letter or this chapter uh, within this letter. So Paul the Apostle had written a letter to the church in Corinth. Now we have uh, First Corinthians and we have Second Corinthians, but there was also another letter that he wrote uh, that he's referring to here that isn't part of what we would consider to be the canon of Scripture. Um, and that's not because it was left out uh, and it was a mistake. It's because God sovereignly oversaw what was to be in the Scriptures, and and so in this letter, Paul admonished the church in Corinth for turning against him. So what happened apparently was that someone in the church in Corinth was opposing Paul, speaking against him, and this person was then turning others in the church against Paul. And so what Paul did in in response to this is he wrote a letter to the church, and, and he addressed this issue, and he most likely sent it Uh, with uh, Titus to, to be taken to the church and, and his desire was to restore himself to the church, but he also wanted to expose the motives of the ones that were speaking against him. And I think we can all relate to this, right? To the context of this letter that we can all relate to Someone speaking against us and us seeking to make that right. Well, that's what he's doing here. So keep that in mind. Let's read the passage starting at verse five. And I'm actually gonna be reading from the, the NIV translation because, uh, because I like the way that they translated the Greek word that, that's translated as sorrow there. I, I just think that our understanding of that word sorrow is more in line with the Greek word lupe there than our English word grieve, which many of us would associate more with probably just the, the grieving or the, the loss of a, of a loved one. So, so we're going to look at, uh, starting at verse five, I'll be reading from the NIV. For when we came, and it'll be on the screen here for you to see. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. By the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him, because he told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So in verses five through seven, Paul is concerned about something. And what is his concern? He, he almost seems to be a little anxious about it. He's, he's concerned that his letter to the Corinthians may not have been received well. He's, he's concerned that, that the letter may have actually made things worse. You can relate to this. Right, you, you, you send that text or that email to, to someone addressing something. And you take time to think about the words you're going to use and how you're going to say it. And then you, you send. And as soon as you send it, within minutes, you're like, oh, I should have. Why didn't I say? Right? And, and then you're awaiting the response. And the whole time you're waiting, you, you're, you regret certain aspects of what you said. As if you weren 't in control of what you said to begin with, maybe you should have said it a different way, used a different word, and you wait the res- you await the response and and this is what paul 's experiencing this is what he 's telling us in verses five through seven i I, I just want to know that they I want to be restored. I hope they receive this well and then verse nine tells us that his concern. really unwarranted why is that because verse 9 tells us that Paul is joyful why is he joyful why is Paul joyful is he joyful because the letter caused his friends in Corinth sorrow he's just happy that they're that they're sorrowful no it's actually not that he tells us that it's not because they were just sorry and it's not because they were just sorrowful so why is why is Paul joyful? He's joyful because their sorrow led them to repentance. Because their sorrow led them to repentance, and not just any kind of sorrow. He describes it as God intended sorrow. This is God intended sorrow. Verse 9, yet now I am happy not because you're made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance for you became sorrowful as God intended. Paul worried that this letter would not be well received. But instead of causing more damage, his Corinthian friends realized that they had wrongly accused Paul and their sorrow led them to repentance just as god intended it to be and then this leads paul to now do some teaching and instruction and he does so by explaining something he explains that there are two types of sorrow in verse 10 two types godly sorrow which is sorrow according to god Sorrow according to God. That's like really would be the literal translation would be sorrow according to God. And then worldly sorrow, which would really be selfish, self-centered sorrow. So two types of sorrow. Paul seems to be saying that when it comes to sorrow for sin, there are really only two options when it comes to sorrow for sin there really are only two options one is godly the other is worldly and this reveals a key truth about sorrow it reveals a key truth about sorrow and that is this the antithesis of godly sorrow is not a lack of sorrow It is actually the presence of worldly sorrow. So the opposite of godly sorrow is not a lack of sorrow. It's the presence of worldly sorrow. Now, typically, what do we think, right? We typically think that the worst kind of remorse is no remorse at all. But according to what Paul is saying here, there's an even more evil response. And that is, that response would be worldly sorrow. And you might say, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, why why would that be the case? Well, why is this kind of response so evil? Because this kind of response is deceitful sorrow. This is a deceitful imitation of the real and true kind of sorrow and this should not surprise us we've been learning about this as we've been studying sin and we learned last week right, what our enemy does and what does he do he imitates good so he's imitating godly sorrow which is why it's evil and wrong it's not good And so we need to understand that difference. So now let's look at the characteristics of worldly sorrow. We're gonna go through these and I hope that it helps to explain it in a little bit more detail. And all of these characteristics are sinful characteristics. They're all sinful. So the first one is personal regret and humiliation a characteristic of worldly sorrow personal regret and humiliation this is the regret of getting caught this is the regret of being found out this is being angry really with yourself because you you were you were stupid enough and i'm kind of using that word intentionally talking about how we view ourselves in this category because we we've done something that we're so angry about the fact that that we've done and it's caused now regret and humiliation and so it's this it's this very personal regret and humiliation that we feel this is a characteristic of worldly sorrow very very personal in terms of it's it's how we feel about ourselves. Second is a response aimed at pleasing others. Another characteristic of worldly sorrow is a response aimed at pleasing others. This is the response that has the aim of making sure that other people are pleased above all else. So in this second category here, this second characteristic, the perception of others is the main concern. So so here's the question you ask in this this characteristic. What must we do to regain the approval of those who have disapproved of what we've done or said? What what do I have to do to regain their approval because I need their approval and to get it I'll, I'll do what I need to do to regain it. This is this is what virtue signaling really is, and this is why it 's so so wrong and, and really so evil because it it simply seeks to meet the approval of the mob. What do I have to do to get the mob to be okay with me i 'll do whatever it is so that i 'm no longer ostracized cancelled whatever it is i need to get back into good graces what is it you need me to say what is it you need me to do surely you have seen examples of this right you see someone who said something and done something they stand in front of a group of people and they're reading a their remorseful statement and you're watching and you're going don't doesn't sound remorseful to me sounds Sounds like it's not remorseful at all. And what you're seeing there is worldly sorrow. So we would say that's no remorse, but, but the scripture says actually it's worldly because it's seeking to simply get the approval of others. It's not really true sorrow. It's just the desire to do whatever must be done to regain Regain what? What are you looking to regain here? Approval and status. I need my status back. I need my approval back. A third characteristic of worldly sorrow is self-pity. This, is a, this would be a self-loathing almost, mired in shame and guilt. This is really almost like a hatred of self. And it leads to hopelessness and it leads to Despair. This one might be best reflected in, what, in in how Judas Iscariot responded to his sin. He was mired in shame and guilt. And he did not respond with godly sorrow. He responded with worldly sorrow. And, and, and so what, what's happening here is, is you kind of loathe yourself. And... And, and and in and in so doing you have you, you have you, you go to despair and to hopelessness. Now what's interesting about and and deceitful about all of these is that each of these can can imitate godly sorrow. But they're not. Just because someone shows regret and even maybe emotion doesn't necessarily mean godly sorrow is present. The focus of worldly sorrow is self. It's self-centered. It's self-directed. It's our embarrassment, our humiliation. It's really all about us when it comes to worldly sorrow. Now let's contrast those worldly characteristics with those of godly sorrow, which again, Sorrow according to God. Characteristics of godly sorrow. First, broken over our sin against God. So first and foremost, godly sorrow starts with a genuine sorrow over our sin because we have understood how that sin has been offensive to our holy God and to his word, and to his truth, and to his ways, and to his standards. And that is what we're broken over. In worldly sorrow, this is is not a necessary characteristic. But in godly sorrow, it is absolutely necessary. Worldly sorrow is concerned with personal regret. Godly sorrow... Is concerned with divine offense. How have I profaned the name of God in what I've done? In how I'm thinking, in my actions, in my behavior, in this situation. So it's brokenness over our sin against God and his ways. And and we have a <coughs> we have a good example of this in in how David responded to uh, his sin in, in Psalm 51 when, when he said and he acknowledged that it is God that he has sinned against and recognizing his offense before a holy God. Second part of, of this uh, characteristic of, of godly sorrow is a response aimed at pleasing God. Where worldly sorrow aims to please and satisfy others, and what they require of me for me to get back into good graces with them, godly sorrow is concerned with pleasing God and doing what he requires of me to be made right with him. It's very different. It's a a different approach. A response that is aimed at pleasing other people Requires no internal change. This is this is again the, the, the problem with virtue signaling. There's no there's no necess, nothing is necessary for internal change. A response that is pleasing to God has to requires absolutely and it starts with internal change. So it's a response aimed at pleasing God. Third characteristic is the loathing of our sin, not ourselves. And there's a difference. I hope this makes sense to you as we've been building up in this series to get to godly sorrow. You have a better understanding of sin to understand what this is referring to. Worldly sorrow loathes self even even moves to hatred of self. You can actually hate yourself. Like you, you, you don't like who you are. Uh, godly sorrow doesn't seek to hate self. It hates the sin. The indwelling sin. The, the desires that are there that need to be crushed, mortified, killed as we've been talking. Godly sorrow has no interest in self-pity. Godly sorrow has great interest in killing, mortifying, indwelling sin, mortifying sinful desires that are within us that are causing us to to sin in an offensive way against our holy God. So yes, there is a difference between hating yourself, which would not be a biblical God-honoring response, and hating your sin, which would be Godly sorrow deals with your sin, but understands that the Spirit of God as a believer lives in you, dwells within you, and knows that the Spirit in you is at war and at conflict with the flesh and is seeking to help you kill those desires. And so you view yourself differently, but you understand the nature of sin. So the focus of godly sorrow is God. It's God and his holiness. When you're you're engaged in godly sorrow, your thought process is God and his holiness and what it is that I've done and how is it that I get right with him as I understand this holy God. And I hope that that helps you to see the significant, uh, just the significant differences between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Big difference. So what does, what does Paul tell us is the end result of both? What does he tell us is the end result of both? Because he tells us, he says the end result of worldly sorrow is that it leads to death, The end result of godly sorrow is that it produces repentance, which leads to salvation. Amen. It produces repentance, which leads to salvation. Look at verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. This would be an excellent scripture for you to memorize. Put it on a note card, put it somewhere visible for you to see every day to remind you of how it is we are to respond and how it is that we are not to respond to sin. Notice what Paul says about this salvation this godly sorrow. It produces repentance and leads to salvation. And again, it leaves no regret. It is salvation without regret. It's not regrettable salvation and it's not regrettable sorrow, which is really interesting. For, for Paul to say this, this, this means that we don't, we don't need a tattoo that says no regret to have no regret. We need to respond to our sin with godly sorrow. This is what Paul's saying. And if we do, the spirit of God in us is going to produce something. Repentance. And that repentance that's produced through godly sorrow leads to salvation and it leaves something behind, no regret. It's, it's, it's a beautiful picture and it's something we all need. But many times we go about this the wrong way. Now, repentance is gonna be our topic for next week. So I'm not going to get into that today. It, it, this this text and topic almost begs me to get into it today. Um, but I want to hold off and and dig into that separately and in more detail next week. So we'll do that to understand what does true repentance look like. But what I wanted to do through this series is kind of help you see even through how we're teaching it the sequence of how God has has taught us through his word godly sorrow produces the repentance so we need to understand this first how do how do we respond so we'll look at that we'll look at repentance next next week so how do we How do we respond to this in our own lives? Well, we must respond to our sin with godly sorrow and not worldly sorrow. We need to respond to our sin with godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. We cannot allow ourselves... You can't, I can't, we can't allow ourselves to accept a worldly imitation of sorrow as the real thing in our own lives. I'm not talking about somebody else bringing this to your attention. Maybe somebody is. Maybe there is something going on in your life where somebody is bringing it to your attention. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about you and God just understanding, God, is this how I'm dealing with it? In my own heart. We cannot allow ourselves to accept a worldly imitation of sorrow as the real thing. It's not real. It's fake. It's phony. It's an imitation. This is what, this is what the scripture is telling us. It's not real. It's fake. It's an imitation. And it leads to death. Doesn't, doesn't lead to life. Doesn't lead where we want it. To go. Why does it lead to death? Why does it lead to death? Because without godly sorrow and repentance, our sin condemns us. We're, so, so this is why this is why the outward the, that's out there in the world doesn't work. Because our sin, indwelling and internal, still condemns us. But with godly sorrow, with repentance, Christ our Savior sets us free. See, godly sorrow welcomes the gospel into the equation. We have sinned. We need Jesus. We need atonement. We need forgiveness. And forgiveness comes through godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. I want to read Ephesians 1, a couple of verses here. We'll put it up on the screen just for you to take this in. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses this is this is what this is what godly sorrow does for us it is godly sorrow that brings us to this place of being forgiven it's, and that's what we need right isn't that what we need we need to be forgiven truly forgiven truly forgiven and we need, and, and, and there, there's a way that the scripture presents that that happens and it doesn't happen through worldly sorrow. It happens through godly sorrow. But there's a reason why it's so difficult for all of us to respond to our sin with godly sorrow. There are reasons why this is not easy. Easy. There, there are reasons why it's more difficult to respond to, it's more difficult for you to respond to your sin with godly sorrow than it is with worldly sorrow. Why is that? Let me give you some, some reasons. I have three of them. First one is this. Our flesh loves worldly sorrow because it doesn't address our sin. It addresses our status and our feelings. So, so one of the reasons why our flesh loves it is because it it doesn't deal with sin. Worldly sorrow cares about getting your status back. What do I gotta do to get the status back? What do I gotta do to feel better about myself? Even if it's temporary. I'll take it. But what the scripture is telling us is that in the end, it leads to death. But in the short term, in the short term, it'll let you be you. You know, it'll just let you be okay with yourself. But, it, but in the end, it doesn't satisfy. Godly sorrow is hard because it requires that we do deal with our sin in a biblical way. It doesn't, it doesn't gloss over it. It doesn't come up with a new name for it. It doesn't redefine it. It doesn't say, no, 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 that's not sin. It's just, you don't understand. It's just how I am. It's just how I'm wired. It's just because I'm going through this situation. It's, we come up with all these different reasons, but what that's not doing, what we have to realize is that's not godly sorrow. But what are we doing? We're, 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 we're making excuses so that we don't have to go the pathway of godly sorrow. When the Spirit of God is saying, no, go, go that pathway because that pathway brings you here. And that's where you need to be. Second reason that I want to share with you is that our culture and society, especially today, praises and celebrates worldly sorrow. So it can become more appealing to us. I think this is another reason why godly sorrow is difficult because we we might be taking cues from society and culture. More and more, Society and culture are trying to fight internal sin with activism. Post the right message, say the right thing, respond to this in the right way, society will praise you with no regard for what's happening in here. But godly sorrow is expressly concerned with what's happening here. The spirit of God is doing the work inside of us. So if we seek the approval of the world, if that's our goal, if our goal is the world is watching and I need to make sure everything that happens and how I respond and what I do, I have their approval. We have the wrong objective. We're going to find godly sorrow to be difficult, even more difficult, potentially unattainable. But if our desire is simply to please God, please God, then godly sorrow will produce repentance in us, is what the scripture says. So... This makes it more difficult. We need to be aware of this. We need to be aware of what culture and society are doing. And and make sure that we're not taking our cues of how to respond to sin from the world. That's that's not our standard. Our standard for how believers and saints respond to sin is the word of God. And this is what we're learning. What What we're What we're going over is what the word of God says about it. Third reason is that godly sorrow is the result of spirit sourced conviction of sin. This is where it starts. It's the result of the spirit of God convicting us of sin. So here's what this means. It's the reason why I put it in here. It means you can't respond to this message by going home and saying, I'm going to be, uh, have sorrow that is according to God more often. I'm just going to decide to do that tomorrow morning. Good luck with that. It's not going to work because it's not how it works. Actually, what's going to happen is you're going to end up producing more worldly sorrow. You can't self-produce godly sorrow. It can't be done. You don't self-produce it. You're not a manufacturer inside of you that produces this. You must ask the spirit of God in you that dwells in you to bring you. So what you do is you say, spirit of God, bring me to the place of being sorrowful over my sin according to God. Would you do that in me, Lord? Would you do that work in me? That's, that's different. That's a different response. That's not you trying to do it yourself. Now that's you asking God to do it in you. And then you realize, as we have been talking throughout this series, you realize something. You realize that godly sorrow is directly connected and tied to how you are responding to sin in your life on a daily basis, which is why we've been talking so much about how we need to be mortifying, killing sin. Godly sorrow starts with spirit-filled sorrow over our sin against our holy, loving God. And when we respond to our sin biblically, When we respond to our sin in a biblical way, we are on the pathway. Think of it as a path. You're on this pathway to godly sorrow, repentance, forgiveness, freedom, no regret. Because it's godly sorrow that leads us to forgiveness I wanted to put this quote that I've heard from John Piper years ago up that I think will make sense uh, related to what we're talking about. If Satan can't keep you from regretting your sin, he'll do his best to keep you from enjoying God's forgiveness. He wants to keep us either in a place of shame and guilt or just a place where we have never experienced the joy of walking in the forgiveness of God. We as believers have been forgiven. That is that is just monumental. But It came at a price. The price was was the son of God shedding his blood and he he has revealed in his word the way in which we as forgiven saints of God walk in this world and there's a way we respond to sin in our lives on a daily basis and this is it. This is it. We respond with sorrow according to God. So let's not, let's not live with regret. Not because, like I said, it's what I started with, not because you have a tattoo that says no regret or that spells it wrong. No, we, we don't live with regret because we, have, we've, we've, we post it on social media. No, I'm no longer living with regret. Doesn't do it. Tattoos don't do it. All that stuff doesn't do it. What does it? according to the scriptures is we've embraced sorrow over our sin, according to God. And it produces repentance in us and it leads us to salvation and the enjoyment, the joy of the forgiveness of God and praise God. It leaves no regret. Just as the scripture says, so I wanna give you an opportunity as we close to respond to this, uh, to this message, it's just you and God. I'm not gonna ask you to do, um, do anything else, but if you would just, just where you're seated, just, just bow your head, close your eyes. Uh, uh, worship team, you, you can come up. Um, I wanna give you an opportunity now to just ask God in this moment, just so that with all the hurry of everything going on during the day, you don't miss this opportunity to take time right now to just say, God, Holy Spirit of God, please continue to teach me what it means to have sorrow according to God over my sin. Ask him, give him permission to show you the areas in your life that he's asking you to respond to the sin in your life with godly sorrow. Take time now to even pray that to, to God, just you and God. It doesn't have to be out loud, just you and your heart. Ask him, say to him, God, I, I reject worldly sorrow. I don't want it. I don't want that in my life. I don't, I don't want an imitation I don't want what the world is selling as sorrow. I don't want sorrow that leads to death. I want sorrow that leads to life and salvation and forgiveness and leaves no regret. Lord God, I pray for each and every one of us here. This is hard. We have have our flesh working against us, the world, our enemy, but we also have been given the victory through Christ. And we've been empowered by the Spirit of God. So help us, Lord, to respond to sin in our lives with sorrow according to God. Help each one of us to do that. And may, may we experience the joy of your salvation in that, the joy of forgiveness. And may we experience what it is like to live as a Christian with no regret, because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Continue to help us, Lord, we pray. Thank you for your word and your truth. In Jesus' name,